This is Dean from the Fizz Gigs, and you're listening to 25,000 Miles. the show yeah thanks for having me i'm 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 sorry to uh, hijack the conversation with covid is no uh, it's, you know it's uh, i'm always curious about what it looks like in other people's town or environment like i don't know it feels like such a bubble like everyone's i don't know i'm just, I, there are days on end where i don't i barely leave this room let alone like the house or whatever so it's sort of like What's going on in the outside world? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sort of what the news is telling me, but what's happening for real for for other people? So, yeah, I think it's it's fa- well, at least in Canada, anyway, it's fairly similar for everybody. You know, yeah. like there's there's those who are, you know, pretty cautious, and then others who just could care less. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. you just like you have to almost pick a side, and you're like, okay, hey, that's it. <laughs> That's kind of true, I guess, yeah, which is strange. You know, you can't really be, there isn't really a middle, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know. Right? Well, and then there's yeah. like, there's also people who are like, well, I don't want to put on a mask because I can't breathe. It's like, well, people with COVID can't breathe either, so just put it on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, yeah, I get it, it's uncomfortable, but like, what are they, what are the stakes, you know? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, you know what? It's funny that you bring up COVID, because that was my first question for you. So yeah, I was going to say, how are things with COVID with you right now in the area? But also, yeah. how are you keeping busy as a band with COVID? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's, um, it's, weird to be a, it's weird to be a band in this time. And I know it, it's different for like, there's been a lot of bands this year who had a record, a record ready to release. You know, they were ready to 
to leave on the tour that was in support of the release. Um, and then, you know, North America went into lockdown kind of thing. And uh, we were in a similar position, um, except, you know, we didn't have a, like a, a world tour. We had some regional dates and that's, <laughs> and that's it. So it wasn't like the stakes were not as high, but um, you know, as this goes on longer and longer, I guess it feels like COVID closes in closer and closer. It's, uh, it's difficult to even, you know, we've had band rehearsals where we, we rented a larger space. We masked up, um, you know, you wash, <laughs> bring your own mic and all that stuff. And um, it feels like it's been like a, a reasonable facsimile of being a band for a long time. We've found in this experience, I think new skills and new ways of, of doing things, of do, doing some of the same things. Like we've been able to record uh, or prove to ourselves that we can record separately and, uh, and then still come out the other end with like a, a good mix of a, a new song. So we've, we're not letting it stop us from making new music. And yeah, the only thing that's really really, really suffers is the shows just aren't the same. And we had some shows locally here um, that were happening. um, And I don't know what it's like for you guys out there, but like there would be a venue that was normally like a 400 capacity room and they would be able to do tables that were sort of interspersed throughout and cage the stage in. uh, Yeah, that was at, uh, at Dickens, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's happening and it's sort of like that's awesome. I hope something can happen, but even that is kind of been curtailed for a bit now. And I'm not sure how I feel. Part of the appeal for me about a show is like the interaction with everyone and the, and the like almost uncomfortable closeness of it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like the reason that I love punk rock, but it's one of the fringe benefits is that the shows are usually like this, you know, sort of uh, very primitive affair with people just like uh, on top of each other, almost in a venue. So um, long story short, we're getting by. We've got, everyone's got their health and everyone's families are safe and that sort of thing. We're finding projects to keep us busy. And some of those have been things that I don't think we would have focused on at this stage um, had COVID not been around. So I think we're kind of, growing some new skills and innovating in some ways that I'm grateful for. But, um, I, yeah, I miss the live shows a lot. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's just not quite the same getting like a live stream or, or something like that. Yeah. Which, which yeah. brings me to another point. How do you feel about live streaming a show? Yeah, that's a good, another, another good question. I, I'm, I'm scared of it as a musician. I'm scared of it. Right. Cause um, you can see how many people are there. I mean, you can in real life too, but I mean, if there's like two people watching you, you're like, all right. Yeah. And I guess it's, it's like playing one of those crummy shows where you're like, oh, (laughs) well, we're here. So let's do it. (laughs) You know? Um, So I, you know, I'm scared of that. I'm scaring, I'm scared of like, in the live, in what we're used to playing in a live show. If I, if I got, it's in that moment and it's gone. And in, in a live stream, I guess that could happen, but I feel like, you know, there's the ability to record it or it's 
I just, I'm so, like, I feel like if it's gone out over the internet, it's retrievable. Somewhere. <laughs> so there's that part of that's kind of scary. And I feel the same. I feel like it's, that energy's not there. And that's not to say that it's, um, uh, we have this, we have this, it's gone now, but there was this great um, vegetarian Chinese food restaurant in town called Buddha's Veggie. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, a friend of mine was much younger being like, you have to try, you have to try it. It's so good. And I wasn't vegetarian at the time. And he's like, you should try the ginger beef. It's really good. And I was like, oh, I tried it. And I was like, well, it was, it was good, but it's not ginger beef. And the, the problem was making the direct comparison because it's like, if you don't have the option of ginger beef, cause you're vegetarian, this was really good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, I mean, in the absence of live shows, I think the live streams are awesome. I think that they're going to have um, a place moving forward period. I think that uh, I think once it becomes a more common thing, which it's doing very quickly and people stop viewing it as the replacement for live shows, um, but just something kind of in addition to um, that, it'll become a mainstay of what musicians do. It's a little weird. We haven't done one yet and I'm scared of doing them. Um, but we're, we're going to have to do something like that at some point. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know. I, you know, I don't know how I feel about them yet. Cause like right. a lot of them just go onto YouTube after. And it's like, you know, like I want to support bands, but it's hard to yeah. it's like, I do not want to pay for this, <laughs> you know? Right. Because yeah, like a yeah, lot of yeah. them are like, hey, buy yeah. tickets for a live stream. And you're like, I, I just yeah. can't do it. I can't, like, not to yeah. be, you know, negative about it because I'm like, that's just what we have right now. But I, yeah. I think, I think that's, it's falling short just that way because it's not the same. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I have the same feeling too. Or there, there's like, I think Mute did one kind of back at the beginning of the summer. And I remember thinking like, that's, I don't know if it went up on YouTube after or whatever. I remember seeing some photos after and there might've been tickets. I remember having that same inner dialogue and I was like, I don't want to pay to see this on the internet. I would like to see it. And they're a band I love and I want to support. I would pay to go to a show. I don't want to pay for this right now. And that might change in the future too, but I feel like I'm in a similar spot where especially where if an artist is trying to replace their, their touring income, my opinion is that that's, it's not same thing. It's not a replacement. Yeah. And especially if it's not the kind of, you can't as an audience member, you can't have been, uh, if being there is not the single chance to be there, you don't get that. Like I was there at the show, which is kind of like a badge of honor in a way as a, you know, I remember seeing uh, like, some of my favorite bands in tiny bars or like basement shows or things like that. And that is always like a special cause I was a part of that unique experience. But if it's just going to become part of the permanent record inaccessible to everyone on YouTube, that it, that specialness is gone. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, um, I think everyone's still really figuring it out. Audiences, bands, everyone. Um, yeah. I feel the same. I, I a lot of them. I don't. I feel like I. I don't want to sit in front of my computer and watch it. It's more cool. Like, did uh, did you see the um, 
No Effects play the Punk and Drublik yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, I saw yeah. that one. That was that was the one I decided. I was like, you know what? This might not be for me. Right, right, <laughs> and that's what. And I think there were extra things going on, like first time playing the whole album through. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people. I don't know if some of those songs. I don't know if they've ever played live. And it was a special show. They brought a lot of bands, a lot of stuff that was special about it. One of my favorite bands, and I still didn't pay to see it. Yeah. I did watch it on YouTube after. I did. I waited. Yeah. Right. Me too. Yeah. yeah. So, and no judging. Like, it, it, like I said, I think everyone's figuring it out, and I'm glad that it happened. I don't think it's the same as going to a show. No. I'm interested to know, because I know you guys all come from different bands, but how did the Fizz gigs come together? Uh, I love it. The origin story. Yeah. So um, we, <laughs> Jay uh, Sinclair, our singer, rhythm guitar player, and definitely the um, most uh, driving creative force in the band. He writes almost everything. <laughs> uh, and Scott, who also, they, they both come from Belvedere. Um, Cody and I are from um, other regional and... Uh, or older bands we basically what happened was we've all known each other in different ways somehow over the last between ease of explanation i'll say the last 20 years we've known each other either playing together or seeing each other at shows or things like that and jay and i actually played together um in high school in a band called guilt trip um with tyler who plays drums for chick stiggett and tyler and i played in this band for about 15 years together called the evidence and uh at our last show jay was doing sound and we were just chatting before the show and he said i've been writing these pop punk songs i don't really know what to do with them they're just i know he's one of my favorite songwriters always has been since from since the time we played together in high school and he knew i would love them so he's like can i i'd love to play them for you sometime which i was happy to hear of course and then we were talking about bands that, you know, pop-ish, melodic punk rock bands that we love. And we were talking we were talking about a band called Undeclinable from the Netherlands. And then we started talking about this band called Body Jar. And then for some reason, Body Jar came on the PA at that time. And we were, we were like, oh, that's, you know, serendipity. <laughs> um, and so he sent me some songs and, I, and obviously I loved them. And then we didn't do anything for like two years we just were like had this idea of this project and we would sometimes text each other ideas about band names and stuff like that and then in the summer of 2017 we had a bit of a compelling event which was he entered one of those songs into this uh, there's a pub in town called the ship and anchor and they have this songwriting contest it's at the beginning of the summer and it's like kind of beginning of patio season and very fun time he enters this song. Um, it gets picked for, as a finalist in the contest. Um, and then the idea being that if that happens, that the band comes in and plays it, they play this one song. So we didn't have a band. Um, and, and we had a show where we had to play one song. So Jay, as, as he, he's very good at doing, just made it happen. He pulled it together. He asked Scott. He asked Cody. We had one rehearsal beforehand, and after we rehearsed, we played that song like I don't know, ten times or something like that. And after the uh, after the rehearsal, it just was so much fun. We were like, "Wouldn't well, we be 
do you want to be a band? <laughs> and so we played the show <laughs> and then, uh, we decided we would continue. And um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So we decided, you know, it would be about fun. It would be about that music that we loved and about that very sort of somehow rooted in that kind of Ramones descendants um, area of the, the genre and, um, and then take it forward from there. As long as it was fun, you know, we could do more good than harm along the way, then we'd be a band. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> that, that was correct. You answered that correctly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad, I'm glad I got it right. Yeah. Uh, so you guys put out uh, the new EP, Hit and Run, on November 6th. Now, uh, the song, Is This Real, is on there. And the video for it has a pretty impressive lineup. It's got, uh, just to name a few here, uh, we've got Chris Cresswell from the Flatliners on it, uh, Danko Jones, KG Jensen. How did you hook up with all of these people to do this song? Yeah, this um, it's a bit of a mixed bag. The uh, We put out the record. Uh, we put out our full length in the spring. We have no tours to play. And I'm, I'm talking to co-conspirator and publicist extraordinaire uh, Melanie Kay, on the phone and we're sort of brooding over this like you know what's everyone doing what are we gonna do like we're locked down and um we agreed we were gonna bounce ideas uh off each other about what what we would do what we would work on and um one of the ideas we both had was to collaborate on a cover in some way and she was saying well yeah that would be great because there's a lot of musicians like you that don't their plans have been squashed so they got either nothing else to do or they're looking for something new creatively to do that sort of thing her network is very strong very very and very broad and we knew um kj is local we i grew up going to chicks to get shows so we know each other and um through tyler especially we uh have gotten to know each other a bit better and chris and Jay and Scott go way back to early days of Flatliners when I'm sure the Flatliners would open for Belvedere. And the biggest sort of the, the all the work though, in terms of pulling everyone together, we did planning behind the scenes. We picked the song, we recorded the music and on all that stuff. But honestly, the magic in terms of being able to get uh, such a large group of people to agree <laughs> uh, to do it um, came through Melanie and her and the trust that that everyone has in her to build a, a great project and I think a lot of them a Danko I know uh, and I love him I th- would have been too scared to call him and ask him personally yeah what do you um, say hi Danko uh, Dean here yeah uh, listen yeah <laughs> yeah who <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he I mean he was. Uh, the sweetest guy said yes right away and was the first one to have um, his part in. And I know he just did that out of the trust, the the faith that he puts in Melanie, that if she's going to be up to something, that it's going to be good. And we knew we wanted it to, especially once we started to get um, higher profile people involved, we knew we thought it was, this would be good to do as a charity. Back to that idea. If there's anything that we can do that can um, help bring other people along for the ride or lift others up in some way, we're going to do it. But we started to get, you know, collaborators from across the country. And we thought, well, maybe a national charity would be good. 
and then we started to hear uh, a bit more about, you know, there was a lot of a lot going on with COVID, a lot of facets to the challenge that it is for everyone. Um, but out of a conversation, we were, my wife and I were having about, our kids are, we're, we're kind of grateful that they weren't, uh, they're not teenagers yet. They're not even really preteens. They're still in elementary school. So they're at this age where um, being locked down in their community has less of an impact on them. But if everyone remembers their teenage years or are in them, you know that without your social connections, which is kind of your world at that age, um, things can be pretty tough. And for a lot of people, you know, being locked at home, well, home is not a safe place. So that was a charity that fit uh, in terms of being able to help. A Kids Help Home was a charity that fit in terms of being able to help with that sort of overlooked and underserved sort of part of the challenge for us collectively. Yeah, that was going to be uh, my next question is why, why did you guys pick the kids help phone? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And then I'll let you continue. No, no. <laughs> yeah. That's, and that's it. I mean, um, we knew we weren't going to make like a huge dent. So whatever we could do in terms of help, um, we would uh, be putting forward. And um, that's part of the decision to, donate the proceeds from the ep there as well just because it's it's a situation in which a little bit of a little bit of funding can make a, a big difference but we felt like basically just born out of those conversations and i think the fact that maybe we maybe we're still teenagers <laughs> in a lot of us in our heads um it just kind of identified with that element of the of the challenge of covid and wanted to to be able to help. And it was a national organization that, um, that fit the bill. Once we got to chatting with them as well, it, it made sense. Like they, there was a need, they anticipated at the time and have been seeing throughout the year that their call volumes, um, and chat volumes, because it's not just a phone line anymore. Now it's, you know, they provide support, uh, mental health support to youth across Canada through chat, um, text as well. So, uh, <laughs> I don't think my daughter even knows what a phone is. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> it's not a cell phone, you know? So, uh, anyway, it's their call volumes have been close to triple what they'd been the year before. And internally that's quite a challenge for them. Um, and you know, you think of the situations that they sometimes deal with in that, you know, that can be kids either in danger dealing with, you know, just the regular kind of teenage, dilemmas now, all the way through to suicide and things like that and they were self-harm uh, in other forms the idea of those calls going unanswered is um it's not a good one so i mean if if anything that we can throw at that's going to help prevent that from happening it felt like uh, this is a no-brainer like we should if this is something that we can help then we would do it for sure so yeah absolutely is everyone in the band a fan of the wipers how did you, how did you come up with that as uh, that band for for the cover song? Yeah, it's a that's a great song, uh, a great question, and and it is a great song. Um, I'd never, I think what happened with the Wipers, and I've gotten to know more about them since. So, the, we chose the song on Jay's suggestion. And Jay is such a like a I play with a group of great fantastic musicians but jay's record collection is the largest <laughs> and he had like 
he has vinyl back for decades and decades. Um, so he knew the wipers, uh, knew that song specifically. And it came to mind very quickly when we were looking for, um, something that was maybe a bit tongue in cheek and thematically, uh, related to the pandemic. And actually Melanie's idea was really funny. Uh, it was, why can't I touch this? And it was earlier in the pandemic when we were sort of, uh, by the buzzcocks and, and, um, yeah, anyway, <laughs> so we, anyway, that one was like super long and jammy and musically we were like, oh, it doesn't sound as much like the Fisk exists. Uh, and so, um, this one came to mind for Jay, uh, my understanding in terms of the history, like we've gotten to know wipers in the history of wipers through doing the cover, but they had like, they were a very small Portland band did like, they sort of uh, had their heyday in the, in the late seventies, early eighties, and then kind of went away. Um, but I think part of their regional influence uh, carried over. And there was a point in the early nineties when I think Kurt Cobain had shared in a Rolling Stone article that the wipers had influenced Nirvana in some way. And Sub Pop like re-released a record for them at that time. So they had this bit of a resurgence, which might be sort of part of, uh, I'm sure it, you know, only contributed. Anyway, they're not um, active anymore, but the, they're kind of, they have this sort of strange cult something that still lives. It's <laughs> very alive. Well, apparently, the, debatably, one of the first punk bands. Yeah, and especially when people like people talk about American punk, and I think that that was the, I think why people give them credit. People who know them um, really respect them. They don't, and they don't necessarily. They're not gushing about. They kind of give this respect and credit to the institution of the band more than like the oh I saw them at this place or whatever. It's more about like, yeah, they're a weird kind of untouchable institution. It feels like. Yeah, well, I mean, good cover. Good cover. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, so I know you have a lot of shows under your belt, but <laughs> to the best of your knowledge, kind of off the cuff here, what do you think is the worst show you've ever played? And then we'll go on the flop of that, the best show. Oh, man. Any band or Fizz Geeks? Um, you know what? I'm going to say any band. Or will so, it be easier if I say Fizz Geeks? <laughs> well, worst show, worst show is easier if it's any band. Um, the shows we've been playing, we've had the privilege of playing as a Fizz Geeks. Actually, okay, I'll answer from the Fizz Geeks perspective. Because there's a good one for a worst show there as well. Okay. And, it, and it, it's on me, so I can own it. <laughs> the... Uh, the worst show we ever played was, so the year after that first show where we get on stage, we played one song, uh, Monica, a song about a girl with a silly name. We we played great. It sounded great. We had a super fun time. It's the year later, like, the, like ex- almost exactly a year later, we play a festival show um, in Medicine Hat on a Friday night, I think. And then we have to be back in Calgary in the morning to play this same show at the ship and anchor again a year later and it's one song and we get on stage and i don't know why but everything's rushed when all these bands are are changing over and you're doing you play one song then you've got like 30 seconds to what feels like 30 seconds to get off stage and for the next band to get on and get and play and i am set up and about to tune my bass and jay says how are you doing i was like i'm good man and what i didn't realize he was asking was are you ready to start playing and so the band starts playing and i have to come in right away in this tune it's uh moon time it's got this like it's a the bass line is very important in that song or more so than in other songs and i was not in tune and it's in the two minutes and 30 seconds of the song i couldn't really make it i couldn't i was trying to like oh maybe if i bend this one just a little bit i can keep it in tune and it sounded so awful and we only had the one song so there was no chance to redeem ourselves or anything like that totally hit the bed it was the worst so that was the worst show um as the physics for sure best show we played we've had the privilege of being able to open for quite a few really great bands and we got to open for teenage bottle rocket at one point at dickens and it was one of those where like the room was filled it's an easy fit in terms of i think the isotopes played also it was like a very everything was right for the show we fit right in musically we played really well (laughs) and everything it just felt so good and then I think Ray was um, talking about how he was thanking the opening bands for opening later on. And he was, he was saying thanks to the, uh, the jizz kids or the fizz dads. <laughs> thanks to you guys for opening the show. <laughs> and so there was this like little comedic uh, icing on the cake as well. Um, yeah. So it was super fun, super fun night went over really well. So that, that's been the best so far. Um, so, as a musician, what do you think the motivation is to keep going and to keep creating? Because, like, as you know, it's like, it's, it's a hard road out there. Yeah, for sure. Anyone who does it long enough and endures, I mean, even outside of this uh, pandemic context, if people 
make music for long enough, they're typically, they've discovered something about the way that music connects people. And um, I know, especially in the punk rock scene, we like to talk about it's not, you know, for fame or money or things like that. And honestly, it can't be, or it won't be for long (laughs) if it is. So I think that, I think that thing that um, keeps artists going and creating is that they, it can't really be replaced by anything else in your life. If you've made music or been around music in that way. And I, I think that, um, you know, sometimes we make more of a distinction between uh, this person's a a musician and this person's not than there actually is. And, you know, we're all in terms of the, the physiological biological experience of music it's it's this almost the same in all of us and it it, you know it has very deep genetic roots in in the way that it impacts us and so that's the really the only difference between you like someone who would never consider themselves a musician never picked up an instrument and a person who's you know master of the pan flute or whatever is just hours of practice on that instrument that's it the effect of music between them and on them while the experience might be different the effect is very similar and it has this very uh this very powerful way of connecting people and i don't think i haven't really found a way for that to be replaced there have been windows of time for me um where i haven't been playing music actively and it sucks. It's, yeah. it's so, life is just not fun. And um, and so I have to do it for my mental health. It, it's my connection to um, a community that um, I'm not connected to if I, if I don't make, and I, and, and I need that as a person, you know? So um, I think ultimately, music will be around as long as humanity is. I think, I think that deep, deep connection um, keeps people making music, you know, whether there's money to be had or not, whether sometimes whether there's an audience or not, like oftentimes that's the icing on the cake. If people and other people enjoy it and, and you can bring some benefit to other people, that's, I mean, that's great too, but sometimes just the like shared experience of um, people playing music together or experiencing it together in the same room is the kind of base, (laughs) the most basic form of that connection. So hopefully that's the reason that people are still doing it. Uh, I'm sure someone's out there trying to make some money or get famous or whatever still, but that's not going to last, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I get, don't bother. Don't quit your day job. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or go ahead; it'll be a spectacular show. 